The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out many save the dates? In the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the Voices of Search Podcast and I Hear Everything Production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search Podcast, Tyson Stockton. Hey, what's going on? My name is Tyson Stockton from previsible.io, and today we're going to be discussing e-commerce SEO strategies. Joining me today is Jessica Tatillo-Kosser, who is the founder and CEO of e-commerce Badassery, which is a company that specializes in teaching actionable steps and strategies to grow and scale your e-commerce business. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right, here's my conversation with Jessica, the founder and CEO of e-commerce Badassery. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. So today we're we're diving into the world of e-commerce, a space that's kind of like near and dear to myself. Like I feel like I've spent a good chunk of my career kind of in the e-commerce space. And I'm excited to hear kind of your perspective and kind of get some of your tips for the listeners out there on maximizing performance within the e-commerce side. So setting the stage, the on-site shopping experience, like how, what framework would you give the listeners just of how they should be thinking about this aspect? Great question. The number one thing I say to anyone is clear over clever. And it's something that I find those who are maybe a little bit more creative or 
like to create marketing campaigns like myself, it's something I love to do, they get a little bit lost in the creativity of it when really we just need to be clear over clever because it's good for the customer and it's good for the search engines. Um, so when in doubt, always clear over clever. But ultimately, my focus is always thinking about who is this website for, right? It's not for the business owner, it's for the customer. So how do we create the experience for them to get them where they need to go as quick as we possibly can, while also making a little bit of money for ourselves for running our own stores. So that's sort of the basis of everything I think about when it comes to on-site experience. And I mean, I think there's a lot of value in that aspect. It's like, obviously, people are gonna, you're gonna have different touch points at different stages of their own journey. And so having someone be able to enter in at a kind of any point and then clearly go to that next stage, I think is super critical on it. And maybe for like listeners, could you give maybe an, an illustration of whether it's kind of the, the structure of the pages or how they should stage between like top of funnel landing pages into those later stages? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I always ask myself or whoever it is that I'm working with is my background is in brick and mortar. I've been working in retail since I'm 16 years old and there's really nothing like the in-person experience. That's why I believe it will never actually go away, but e-commerce is here to stay. So I'm always asking myself, how can I recreate the in-person experience on the internet? And what that experience looks like is going to be a little bit different based on where that traffic came from. And like you said, where in the funnel that they are. So if I think about a brand new person who literally has no idea who we are, they are trying to solve a problem or they're probably buying a product for confidence or to feel good, something like that. Like what is the experience that we want to give them? One of the things that I find a lot, and this is typically with some earlier, but even some business owners that have been around for a while, maybe they're doing multi six figure, early seven figure, but they don't necessarily know how they got to that place. They focus so much on what they love and their favorite without putting themselves in the shoes of the customer. So when you are thinking about this person who literally has no idea who you are, they just discovered you on social or found you through organic search, hopefully, what is the first thing that they're going to see? And whether it's a homepage or a collection page or maybe a product page, though typically harder to pull them in through search directly to a product, is what is above the fold? What is that text? What is that image? What is that call to action? And I think that if you can put the majority of your effort into making sure that that grabs them from the first two seconds that they're on your website, you can get them to stay and keep shopping. So what that's going to be is different for every business. But I think we undervalue, is that the word I'm looking for? The importance of that. And I mean, maybe this is a, a slight tangent from our topic, but you said something that kind of sparked my interest in like those different entry points and them typically not being necessarily always product pages. Right. And I'm assuming that's also 
has some some factor of type of business or size where they're at kind of from it. Yeah. But maybe if you could just kind of from from your experience or maybe in the context of someone that fits that business profile you mentioned. So six to seven figures, they're, you know, not necessarily the big brick and mortar kind of store that already has a well-known brand awareness. What are some of the most useful or most impactful entry points that a business of that size could have? Great question. So, and the reason why I talk about the product not necessarily being the thing that gets ranked, right? And where people come through is my background is in fashion and apparel. So we're talking about big websites with lots of products that are coming in and out every season. It's not evergreen stuff that's around for a long time. If you fall in that ladder part, then yes, if you've got the same six products, you'll probably get those to rank over time. But what I find for most people is it's a lot easier to just focus on the collection itself because that collection has the product that they need to solve the problem, right? Or get the feeling or emotion that they're trying to get from the product. So I like to put a lot of the effort there. And it's when it comes to SEO specifically, it's not something I hear a lot of people talking about. And I don't know why that is. Maybe you have some insight into why that is, but I don't hear it come up as a focus for most people. But that is where I have found the most success with my clients. No, I I think especially the context that you gave in especially like fashion as an example, or even just the, the fluctuating of product, like I think that makes a ton of sense. And I would also agree that it's probably under focused on like you hear a lot more attention towards the product pages possibly in like editorial or blog gets a decent or more attention of we should be doing this a lot of times you hear from people should oh that word should yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I like the collection because it allows a bit of that storytelling i mean essentially it's like you're bringing them to a category type pages so you're casting that net a little bit wider. What are what are some of the elements that you recommend within like strategy to collection pages or even just like on-site experience when someone would reach one of those pages? Yeah. So for collection pages, my favorite thing to do is just add written content to it. It's literally that simple. In the context of SEO, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, is some of those earlier businesses think, well, SEO is not for me, right? That's only for the big guys. It's not going to work for me. And that's absolutely not true. But this is such an easy way that no matter what changes happen, right? We're always hearing about, oh, Google made a change and now I lost all my SEO traffic. Well, that's because I don't want to say you weren't doing it right, right? But you're trying to hack it all, right? Everyone's trying to hack everything. And it's like, oh, let's do like back in the day, it was all keyword stuffing. Um, I remember those websites, they were pretty terrible. But when you think of it from the perspective of, okay, what is SEO at its base level? A partnership with Google and other search engines to get the searcher to the best result for them in the least amount of time. It's literally all it is. So if you think about if someone walked into a physical store and I sold all the products in this collection, what would I be talking to them about? 
that's the kind of content that I put on the page. And I'm writing it for the user, not the search engine. That's the most important part because it's not, a, it's not for Google. It's just for them to understand who's the perfect person for this page. I work with, right, that mid-level to early seven-figure e-commerce entrepreneur. When I explain it to them that way, that's when it kind of clicks and the light bulb goes off. It's like, yes, okay, it's not this big, scary thing and all the technical talk that gets people confused, especially when you're on Shopify and you can't do half of that stuff anyway because you don't have access. Like, let's just strip it down and think about who it is for the human. And then you pepper in your keywords and your inner links and all that good stuff as you go. I mean, especially for this this audience and this group, I think it it makes a ton of sense because again, even from like the search perspective, yeah, I'm not gonna have the same same like domain string backlinks and just overall domain authority to achieve in it. But I think the opportunity that a lot of the smaller business owners or SEOs working with those business owners is you can pay so much more attention. And to your point, like you can have those more thoughtful questions and type of content in these collection type pages that would allow you to create more topical authority in that vein that someone like a Best Buy, eBay, Amazon, whoever is not going to be able to put the same attention into that nuance that you can. Right. And, you know, speaking of like an Amazon, I love using Amazon as an example because the way a customer behaves on Amazon is way different than your typical e-commerce store. I don't browse Amazon. I go to Amazon because I already know what I want to buy and I just know that they're going to have it and I can get it in two days. And so I'm searching. I am not searching the internet to find this product to pop up in my search results. My sister-in-law, she says she browses Amazon. I don't get her. And I don't think that 99% of Amazon customers do that. But for everyone else, right, the customer behavior is so different. And another great example is if you go look at Express, the clothing store, they do women's and men's clothing. They have content on their collections. David's Bridal, Maybe they're not a great example because they just almost went out of business, though somebody bought them, but they have content on their collection. So even the big guys see the value in this. And another thing that we talked about was, I know when you see it on the big guys, you think it's not for you if you're not also a big guy and you think that you can't compete. But I have literally seen it with my own eyes, with clients that I've worked with, and they were around for about five years, I think, on their Shopify store. We did SEO collection content on their website. And three months later, they were popping up on page one for their keywords. And they're still there. And that was about three or four years ago. So it can actually be simple is my very long winded way of explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I like to going back a bit your comparison to like walking into the storefront mm-hmm. and you know like it is a completely different size or example but it reminded me of something i saw recently with ikea and some of the content that they were putting on 
category pages and it felt like they were trying to make this attempt to make the category type pages a little more like when you enter their store and it's like you have to walk through everything and through the maze. see the rooms and everything else. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, whether or not it achieves the thing is another question, but it's like, it's more of like that concept of like, ah, oh, yeah, that kind of makes something unique about them. And I think it was also a way for them, at least an attempt to have content that's in that same vein of like okay this has been a hit what's you know what would resonate or how could we kind of bridge the two worlds together yeah you know I, that's a really interesting example and i think about my own behavior of shopping ikea and i don't go there very often because i know if i go i have to go through the whole maze and if you try and turn around it's very stressful and hard to do right um and it's designed that way intentionally but when I do go to their website, I don't have that same inspiration of I need this because I can't see it in the room and all of that. Right. Um, and I think another important thing to remember, because I tell people like, don't put I contradict myself, actually, because I will tell you, you know, like put on your customer hat, think about your customer, but then I'm also like, don't project your crap on your customers either, right? Because everyone's a little bit different. So there is definitely a balance here. But I do think that if you can focus on serving the person who needs the most help, everyone else is going to figure it out on their own and that's fine. But those people that need the most handholding, if you can serve them, I think overall you'll win. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Rishi Rawit. He posts a lot on LinkedIn and I had him on my podcast. But one of the things he said, said, all you have to do is focus on how to convert the first time buyer. If you get that right, everything else just falls into place and will work on its own. And it was like mind blown moment. I'm like, oh, yeah, right send a couple emails, the repeat people come back. Great. But you got to get them that first time. So I think when you're thinking about on-site experience, SEO, not as doesn't matter, just in general, how do you serve the person that needs the most help? Because you can't get on the phone with them. You probably don't want to. And you can't talk to them in person. Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. 
For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're solving for the most difficult and then by nature, the others will fall in line. Yeah. Just to give a, a reasonable or a proper shout out to that, can you give a plug for your own podcast for the listeners too, if they're interested? Oh, yeah. It's called E-Commerce Badassery. Um, we talk all about how to increase your traffic, sales, and profit. And I pretty much talk about all things e-com. I started out in this business really just teaching on email because I was so surprised how many people weren't taking advantage of email. But then I got them to do email, but then they didn't have anyone going through their flows. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, now we have to get you traffic. So let's, so it's just sort of evolved into this whole big umbrella of all things e-commerce. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, if you are a, a business owner or you kind of fitting the description that Jessica is describing here, uh, be sure to check that out. Or even I'd say for, for the SEOs on the agency side, wanting to kind of own their chops in the, the entire world of e-commerce, great resource there. Before we kind of close out the episode, any other, and I guess we spent a fair amount of time on the collection type pages and strategy for it, but anything else that you'd want to highlight for yeah that on-site experience? The navigation menu. Can we talk about the navigation menu? Mm-hmm. Is there a perfect navigation menu? Do you think there's a perfect navigation menu? I'm deeply biased on this in the vein of spending a lot of time on like enterprise e-commerce. Yes, fair. And to me, it's like two of my favorite topics in like that arena is internal linking, which naturally navigation is going to be one of the biggest topics in there. And also just like crawl efficiency budget of making sure you're not indexing those low quality type pages of multiple facets applied and you're looking at a zero results page that's getting indexed. Right. Um, but going back to your question, do I think there's a perfect one? In theory, yes. In practice, probably not. <laughs> like, yes. And from thinking about it of like an optimizing internal linking and like the site structure and all of that, 100% like there is a solution to that. But then when you throw in all of the real world nuance and business aspects, that becomes very hard to pull off. How about you? Yeah, same, pretty much same. You know, it's funny. So my previous day job, we resold other people's products and we must have had, oh my God, I don't know, 50 categories and there's brand categories and all of that. And then thousands of SKUs, like it's hard to even remember. When we redid our site at some point, I cannot tell you how many meetings we had to think through what this navigation was going to look like. And it was, you know, six people in a room with like printed out paper and spreadsheets and stuff like trying to visualize what it would be like. And I'm like, are we the only ones that are doing this? Or does everybody do this? Are we just like so clueless? And we're lost right now. But I think it was such a good exercise. My number one thing that I see that really drives me bonkers There's two. Sometimes they're happening at the same time is one, 
hiding products under a shop button. I don't know, not a fan. And the other is not putting your top most important categories, the things you want everyone to see as parent links in your navigation menu. So like you, I imagine in theory, there is a perfect navigation. I don't know if any of us will ever figure it out. By the time we do, there'll probably be something different that's perfect. But I think, again, think about where you want to lead the customer, what's going to be easy for them to get where they're trying to go. I don't know if this video gets shared, but he's nodding right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I should make that more more audible, being that we're on a podcast here. Um, and with the navigation, to me too, it like it oftentimes boils down to a product taxonomy. Yeah. And a while back, we were doing these kind of more market research type studies where we we're pulling search volume of all the keywords that would be in this custom taxonomy structure that then you could set and then you could see, okay, what's the search demand of each collection of keywords in the category and historical trends and everything else. But then you quickly come to the crux of like, okay, so then the value of this is based on the taxonomy. Do you go with a generic taxonomy to then try to appeal to the most people, but then most businesses use something unique. And so it creates this kind of catch 22. And with that, we looked at Google shopping taxonomy, we looked at eBay's taxonomy, we looked at Amazon's taxonomy, and we could pick apart pros and cons of different ones. And even sometimes in categories, you would see different strengths between top players. And so it's like, I don't think anyone's fully cracked that. But a lot of times, yeah, like navigational then dovetails into what taxonomy you create within it. But like your point too of like, even if you have a set taxonomy or you're having to fit within a taxonomy of one of these other platforms, you can still do the prioritization based on your user or yeah, your demographic that you're going after. So I think, yeah, to people that may be fighting this battle, like I would try to first separate kind of like, are we talking taxonomy that's going to have impact throughout basically the entire site? Or are we also talking more of just like where it's represented, how we're promoting it and things like that? Yeah. I think it's oftentimes an important one for people to go back to taxonomy because I've seen just really struggling, messy, improper taxonomy that then just has this lasting impact through all these other efforts that they might come alongside like whenever you're trying to get to the scale it's like you're always going back to something more structured right and so yeah i guess if i could be on a soapbox i would say especially <laughs> early business owners everyone take the taxonomy seriously because that's going to have so many lasting impacts into how the website structured your internal linking capabilities and everything else yeah and one of the other things and this is this is really specifically to Shopify because of how they manage collections. Like there's no parent-child collection relationship. They're all independent and you are just faking it on the navigation. And so one of the features that 
Shopify has that I make sure to tell anyone who will listen not to use. And I think, you know, those who have been around a little while, if they're e-com people, they know this. But, you know, a lot of people just start e-com and are unaware. But Shopify has this very specific feature when you create a navigation link where you can link it to a collection that's already filtered. It's not a real URL. Please don't use that. If you need to send them to a filtered collection because there's so many products or it's that specific, just create a new collection. Great advice. Great (laughs) advice there. Well, I appreciate the time. And with that, it wraps up this episode of the Voice of Search podcast. Thanks to Jessica Totila Coster, founder and CEO of e-commerce Badassery for joining us today in part two of this interview, which will be published tomorrow. Jessica and I are going to continue the conversation and talk about e-commerce content marketing strategies for SEO. If you can't wait until the next episode and you would like to learn more about Jessica, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter where her handle is at ecombadastry or visit her company's website, ecommercebadastry.com. And be sure to check out ecommercebadastry.com slash voices for an extra little freebie for the listeners of this episode. Okay. Thanks to Tyson Stockton, our guest host. If you'd like to get in touch with Tyson, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Tyson underscore Stockton. Or if your team is interested in SEO consulting or organizational education, you can always head to their company's website, which is previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to voicesofsearch.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Voices of Search on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet, and you want a daily stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data.